Why don't you guys pitch me the next iteration of the stuff, and I want to know what your slogan is for it. If you know what I'm talking about. Remember whenever Pepsi came out with Crystal Clear Pepsi or Pepsi Blue? It's a new generation. we got to have a new product for the youngins. Now, what is your stuff? Um. Well, following the tradition of my favorite cookie, I would go with Double Stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, I mean, the... the Slogans are, are endless. How about, do you want to be double stuffed? That's that's not going to fly. Yeah, that sounds a little sexual, dude. I don't know if that's going to go over well. You know, sex sells, y'all. That's all I'm saying. That's a good point. Um, or if, you know, too much is never enough. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not a marketing person. I can't really think of a good, good slogan for my double stuff. But, um, you know, how about more? Yeah, that works for me. Single stuff is never enough. How about more? Boom. The double stuff. <laughs> Get stuffed. What you got, Garrett? Um, you know, it's hard to think of a product that I could see sweeping the nation in such a way. So I'm just going to go with the uh, the tried and true Little Debbie. And I don't know, just Little Debbie. I, I don't know. There's nothing. Can you improve on perfection? Little Debbie stuffed? That sounds sexual. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna. We're no one stuffing little Debbie. Okay, let's just get that clear here. Are you sure? I bet somebody's is. I'm positive. <laughs> Look, little Debbie's a saint. All right, fuck you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just think little Debbie's are the way to go. So you're you're talking about a stuff partnership with little Debbie snack cakes. So we'd get like the little Christmas trees. Instead of the cream filling, it's going to be full of this liquidy, gooey stuff that we find out of the ground. Oh, yeah. And it's going to the tagline be like, this stuff is great. <laughs> That's terrible, but I'm going with it. I think they already make that, though. It's called a Twinkie. So. Well, all Little Debbies have, like most Little Debbies have like uh, like the snack cakes, the fancy cakes, the zebra cakes, the Christmas trees, the hearts for Valentine's Day, the little eggs they make. You know their full product line. I'm impressed. <laughs> they've got star crunches. They've got the peanut butter um, wafer cookie things. I don't know what those are called exactly. They've got the oatmeal cream pies. Those are going to have so much stuff in it. You have to. you got to drown out the oatmeal. Yeah. Swiss cake <laughs> rolls. Hey, John, did you know that we had a little snacky cake expert on the podcast? This is news to me. I didn't know. No, that's amazing. You have to listen to his other podcast, uh, Little Debbie Talk, where he goes and reviews all of them. <laughs> it's called A Whole Lot of Debbie. <laughs> How about nibbling with Miss Debbie herself? Ooh. Yes. Okay, well, mine is going to be an energy drink, so I'm going to call mine Exciting Stuff Energy. Oh. You're going to wake up and you're going to throw back a 16-ounce can, you know, think Monster Energy, only it's going to be liquid cream straight out of the ground. I'm going to put jam-packed this full of vitamin caffeine, and not only are you going to be at the whim of your gelatinous overlords, you're going to be jazzed and ready to go. Now, I could not think of a, a, a slogan because I didn't think about it. So maybe you guys can help me now. What, what should I sloganize this with? You don't want to drink this stuff. Yeah, I don't know that I want to drink uh, the Earth's liquid cream. Uh, <laughs> they could just keep that shit to itself. 
Okay, well, you're not helping here. You guys got to help me workshop this to get the American public to want to drink the cream. Get it? Look, we are helping you by like getting rid of this product before it even gets on the market. Yeah. Uh... We're saving you money here. <laughs> you're squashing it before it even gets into the taste testing phase. Yeah. Jeez. It could be something like, you know, stuff harder, stuff faster. Do stuff more with stuff. Ooh. I like your first one better. I'm going to go with that. Okay. Stuff harder, stuff faster. Just stuff it. Just stuff it. Yeah, that'll work too. <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, if you haven't figured it out by now, because you clicked the button, we're going to talk about 1985's The Stuff. So let's get into it. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, join with Garrett and John. We're doing this podcast over the internet, not in front of each other like we normally do. So bear with us if it sounds a little different. That's because we're trying a new format and still bring you the content, you the listeners, in this time of being stuck in your homes. You need to get away. You can get there mentally with us as we look into the movies of yesteryear like today's movie from Larry Cohen, 1985's The Stuff. Before we do that, fellas, how we doing? And what have you been up to lately? I'm just going to be honest. After watching that movie Quarantine that we watched, I expected this to be very different. <laughs> yeah, my quarantine experience has been nothing like that, I can confirm. There has been a lot of handheld cameras and um, you know me getting freaked out by noises, but very little like Neighbors. Yeah, well, you know, you could just draw the curtains, grab yourself an old handheld camera and, you know, remake every record movie or quarantine, you know, as you see fit. Keep yourself occupied. Keep the mental synapses firing. You know, you got to keep sharp wit going here. Get bored real quick being stuck in your house. I'm going to have the roommate, um, Tanya Hardy, my kneecap so I can re- recreate rear, rear view. Wait, rear window? Rear view mirror? Wait, what the fuck is that Hitchcock movie? Rear window. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that sounds painful. I don't think we need to go that far with it. Um, but, you know, you do you. Um, well, n- I have not, uh, you know, had my knee hobbled, but I did watch two movies that I think y'all would be interested in. Um, I watched Color Out of Space. Okay, I was going to ask you if they're exorcism movies, but that is not one. That's one of them H.P. Lovecraft books, right? Yes, uh, and this was a Nicolas Cage film, and it was super enjoyable if... if uh, you guys haven't watched it yet, or if listeners haven't, I would highly recommend it. It is a very enjoyable film, uh, really crazy, cool use of color, shockingly. Um, and Nicolas Cage gets to go full cage. We get just full cage here, especially near the end, and it's tremendous. Garrett, did you see that one? I feel like you were mentioning you were going to check that out. I was going to check that out. I actually purchased it, but I have not watched it yet because... Um... I've been busy with other stuff, but I hear Cage goes full Cage in it. I'm excited. It's from the guy that did, um, uh, well, he was supposed to do Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, what the hell is that dude's name? Oh, I can't remember either. But yes, it is. He got kicked off of that movie. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm excited to see it. I just haven't seen it yet. Um, I hear nothing but good things. Yeah. Definitely watch it. I will uh, leave it at that then so as to not spoil anything. Um, and then I watched The Invisible Man uh, since now, apparently. Uh, in this new world order, you can get theatrical movies on iTunes, which is crazy. Um, also, super good. Way better than I was expecting it, and I expected it to be good. Um, 
And I was worried the trailer gave too much away, but that is actually not the case at all. Uh, another tremendous film uh, I would highly recommend. Yeah, that was going to be one of the last ones me and you went to saw in the theater uh, before this COVID thing started, and then we just got busy and couldn't yeah. make it. I'm glad to hear it's good. Yeah. Speaking of which, it sounds like AMC may may not be doing so well during this whole period. So I'm wanna, I wonder how that theater franchise or that theater uh, chain is going to be doing after all said and done. Um, I had to cancel my my pass because obviously can't use it. They put it on pause. You didn't have to cancel it. They just paused it for us. Yeah, and you know what's cool? Um, Alamo Drafthouse has the same exact thing where you basically paid your monthly fee and when the uh, the shutdowns happened, they paused everyone's accounts. But what's really cool is they, like, I think like different like, um, you know, famous celebrities from Hollywood and different companies put like almost $2 million into a fund to kind of help the employees of Alamo Drafthouse during this time. But they also gave you the option of restarting your um, movie pass. So it still charges you, even though you can't go see movies, all that money goes to the fund to help the, um, the furloughed and out of work um, Drafthouse workers during this time. Oh, that's, oh, that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah, right on. Good Surprise AMC's not doing something like that. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I read an article that says that these uh, there's a possibility that AMC may, may not come back from this. I don't know. I don't think their financials were looking all that great, uh, but we'll see. Wow, that'd be wild. They're like the biggest or second biggest you know, movie theater franchise in America, so that would be a, a pretty big blow to movie theaters. Yeah, we'll see. I, you know, I hope uh, as many businesses as possible make a rebound off of this. Um, but it's been a very strange time to see what's going on with all this. But good on you, Alamo Drafthouse. And they did something else that I'm uh, really excited about. They started releasing their recipes. So I'm going to download their recipe for the buffalo cauliflower because that's my favorite thing to eat there. And I'm going to make it at home. And you too, listeners, can go online and make that yourself. Yeah, my roommate's doing the same thing. So maybe you guys can like see if you guys fucked it up or not. New podcast, me and Vanessa. We're going to be cooking from home. Cool. Well, let's see. What have I been up to? Um, I watched a couple of Shudder movies that got uh, released recently. I watched one called Daniel Isn't Real. And I watched one called Satanic Panic. You guys check those out yet? I saw the trailer for Satanic Panic. That looked pretty interesting. I haven't watched either of those, but I want to see Satanic Panic. I am very interested in that one. Satanic Panic is pretty fun. Um, think Ready or Not, um, and then it you've kind of got a, a, a loose formula, and it's about a pizza girl who, first day on the job, she has to go deliver some pies. And Garrett, you're going to like this. It stars... Uh, it stars. It, it has um, your boy from Puppet Master in it. Um, God, I'm drawing a blank. Tom Lennon? No. Uh, uh, um, Skeeter Jenkins? Cuddly Bear? Cuddly Bear's in it, yes. Cuddly Bear is the... Oh, right on. That's awesome. I'm glad he's getting work. Yeah, for real. He plays the, the pizza store owner. Um, so I was like, all right, he's he's gotten some work done. It's good to see him again. Uh, but yeah, she she's the first day on the job. She gets a delivery out to this really rich and snooty neighborhood. And um, it just kind of falls apart on her from there. And it, uh, uh, as one, you know, kind of like Ready or Not was like, the rich people are only rich because of satanic worship and such. It's kind of along that same vein. Um, so I'll leave it there for the listeners to go check that out. It was pretty enjoyable. Um, Shutter's been doing some good stuff. They've also put out that show Cursed. Did you guys watch that yet? The first episode came out this week. It's about all the horror movies. Yeah, you know I could not. Yeah, they. I mean, you know when I saw what the first episode was, I was watching it on release 
day. Uh, and it was very interesting. I, I agree with Mark. It, I will continue to watch it. I do wish it went a little deeper, but they only had 30 minutes and it was the first one. Um, but overall, highly recommend. Yeah, I think the one of the episodes I think I heard is they're going to do like a poltergeist and I'm not sure what else. Um, I think it's only going to be like six episodes, though, for this first season. Um, so go check that out. Uh, and lastly, I'll just say Daniel Isn't Real is about, uh, I think, Drop Dead Fred, only if Do- Drop Dead Fred was sadistic and, and had murderous uh, intent. Um, it's, it, was, it was pretty good. What do you mean? He didn't? Of course he did. <laughs> True. But uh, this one, he may actually get his hands dirty, if you know what I mean. So uh, that one's worth a watch. I would check it out. Um, two good entries from Shudder in, in an episode. Getting my money's worth over there on the Shutter currently, so I'm happy with their service. When's the um, the the last drive-in with Joe Bob coming back? I, I thought they said something in April, right? Yes, finally got a release date for what is it, season two of Joe Bob's Last Drive-In? That's coming April 24th. It feels like it's been just like it has been. It's been over a year since the last one. It just felt like a long time, so I'm glad to see that coming back. Uh, especially now that we're stuck at home. Give me something to do on Friday nights. Well, if that's all we have on what we've been up to, why don't we go ahead and get into today's movie? 1980-somethings, The Stuff. The Stuff, and that's directed by Larry Cohen, who also did such classics like Cue the Wing Serpent and my favorite uh, 60s alien show. that I think I mentioned this before. He did one called The Invaders um, way back in the day. Um, John, you have never seen the stuff until now. Is that correct? Yes, this is my first time watching the stuff. And is this your, to your uh, knowledge, your first Larry Cohen film too? I think so. Yeah, I can't remember anything else. I know this is his most famous. So if I haven't seen this, I doubt I've seen any of the others. You may remember we mentioned him on the Maniac Cop one. He's he's the guy that uh, wrote the Maniac Cop, but he's also known for movies like It's Alive. Salem's Lot, Return to Salem's Lot. Did he do the original Salem's Lot? No, he did the one from 87. I think it was a sequel, um, the return to. But uh, yeah, this 1985 is the stuff. What do you think of it? Um, I really liked it. It was very dumb, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's how I would sum it up in like a you know two, three word phrase. Um, I, I have such a good time with this movie. I'm really glad, uh, Garrett, that you chose this one. I've been wanting to do it myself, so it was just an easy one to look forward to doing. Um, why did you choose this one, Garrett? This this movie has everything, though. It has absolutely everything. I'll say, you know, I often am like, uh, this movie was too long. They could have cut 10 minutes. Uh, the stuff has the opposite problem for sure. If they had put 10 more minutes of runtime into this movie, I think it would have been uh, to its benefit. Because sometimes I feel like I would just get jarred from one scene to another. Um, but overall, minor complaint. But I was kind of... That that was tough. I'd be like, did I miss something? Uh, and rewind it. And they'd be like, nope, they just randomly jumped scenes. A scene plays out and he's all like, you know what? I need to go to Georgia. Bam, smash cut to Georgia. And right there, instead of showing you what he's like, I'm in Georgia to meet so-and-so. I'm going to talk about this. And then it plays out. So, like, it's never like, oh, naturally, he's probably going to go check that out. It's all like, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> and he does it. Yeah. You know, I was looking at Wikipedia, and it did say that there was some cuts made by the studio. So, uh, you know, with most movies back then, they would get uh, whittled down. So I wonder if that's just a product of that. 
But there was a, a point in the movie, I agree with you, I was like, and here's where we just start slapping scenes uh, next to each other and things just kind of happen. Yeah, the most <laughs> jarring for me is when he meets the marketing lady and then the next time we see her, she's like in on the plan and they're like a romantic couple. And I was like, okay, did I fall asleep? Did I miss something? Um, and so I re- like I rewinded it or rewound it and was like, nope, that's just how this movie plays out. All right, well, I'm on board. Yeah, it was definitely like, oh, they're together all of a sudden. Okay, let's keep going. We got a movie to get through here. Come on, people, let's go. (laughs) Okay, well, this one is starring Michael Moriarty as David Moe Rutherford, uh, doing an absolutely fantastic job of, of, I don't know what, he's like kind of a a Southern gentleman lawyer type, but man, his his depiction of this character Moe is just so bizarre and fun to watch. Yeah, he... Totally. I loved this character. He reminded me of the guy from Knives Out. I was like, I wonder if they, you know, took this character and made him more serious for Knives Out because it was very similar. Oh, Daniel Craig's character? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the detective's name, but yeah, Daniel Craig's character. I was like, oh, I could see, you know, some of uh, Mo in Daniel Craig's performance. But yeah, that character was amazing. I was very happy to watch him. I love Mo because, like, it just... I, I wonder, how do you get to that level of confidence? He's like, yeah, so here's my business card. I'm an industrial saboteur. Um, <laughs> people They call me Mo because whenever I get something, I want Mo of it. And I'm just like, <laughs> and they're like, people were fucking up and doing really terrible things. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to hurt your career. Just let it go. Like, hey, when that kid throws up in his car and he's all like, I threw up. And he's like, I'm aware. And I was like, <laughs> how do I get to that Zen level that Mo is constantly living at? He's, I love when they introduce him and he's like, sweaty palm, sweaty palm, sweaty palm. Let me get that sweaty palm. <laughs> Let me get that sweaty palm. Now, there's a T-shirt. Dude, and, and, dude he was so <laughs> pleased with himself with his name joke. That's Mo because I always want Mo of it. He said like five times and they're like, okay, we get it. Yeah. And he adapted to the, each situation too. I was like, now that is just versatility. Yeah, he's he sits at home workshopping that joke. He's like, I need to have it ready for every situation now. <laughs> uh, let's see. We've also got Andrea Markovici as Nicole Garrett Morris as probably my favorite character in the movie, Chocolate Chip Charlie. Little backstory on Garrett Morris. That is my namesake. That is who I'm named after. Oh, really? Oh, very interesting. Yeah, the story behind that is, is I'm sure many of our fans already know this because they know me. But if you don't, I am named after Garrett Morris. And the reason is, is my mom was pregnant with me. And she was watching Saturday Night Live back in the, um, the late 70s. And... Garrett Morris came on and did a Carmen Miranda, and if you're not familiar, the lady with the fruit basket, you know, a Carmen Miranda sketch. And it was so funny. She was laughing so hard. She thought she was, she's like said she either thought she was or she peed herself, ran out to the door, opened it up, and at the apartment complex yelled out, Garrett, you get in this house right now. Don't talk back to me. And people opened their door and like, are you okay? And she's like, how did that sound? Did that sound like convincing? They're like, yeah. And she's like, cool. And that's how she named me. So... <laughs> She was preparing to yell at you. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think Garrett Morris does a fantastic job. He wasn't the first choice. And actually, I think want to say that the studio told Larry Cohen to go ahead and hire this guy. Um, he originally wanted to go with somebody else. Yeah, he wanted to go with Arsenio Hall. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right, wait, are you serious? Swear to God. Yeah, that's what, uh, at least it's all over the internet. And uh, I think that would have been very interesting. 
but uh, this this actor did a fantastic job, so I'm happy with uh, Chocolate Chip Charlie. Garrett, how does that make you feel that you could have been called Arsenio? <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as I walk into a room and everyone goes, woof, 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 I'm okay with it. <laughs> do the whoops, do it. Do, come on, man, whoop me up. <laughs> okay, who else we got? We've got Paul Sorvino is Colonel Malcolm Gromit Spears, who is a very interesting character. Um, slightly racist. Not slightly, very racist. <laughs> yeah, slightly? Wait, sl- I was to say, there's no slight to it. That is a racist man in that movie. Yeah, it was a very interesting choice for him, but he's also the uh, kind of the, the crackpot, right? He's the guy that believes that all the conspiracy theories are going to happen, and he's proven right in this instance. And I was like, hmm, what kind of message is the stuff telling us in 2020? Yeah, right. That- <laughs> as soon as that character was introduced, there was nothing but messages. The thing about Vietnam, which we'll talk about later, like all these like messages. Oh, yeah. Tons of that stuff for sure. Uh, let's see. Who else is in this? We've got Scott Bloom as the kid Jason. And I think that's probably all we need to mention. Scott did a really good job, too. I, I think he did a great job as a as the kid actor in this movie. And he's actually the one that brings up the Vietnam later. I'm like, really? The kid's going to drop the knowledge on us with the Vietnam. How does he know anything about that? He's, he's old for his age. <laughs> he grew up too fast. All right. Well, this one is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes at a 69% with the critics. That's out of 13 reviews and an audience score of 45 out of 6,876. And that seems dreadfully low for this movie, in my opinion. I think that's just because we liked it, though. Like, objectively looking at this film, I can see it being at about a 45. I don't think so. I think it's much higher than that. But I could see how the general audience would put it around that. There was a story that I read about this movie when it came out is that the studio itself was actually kind of disappointed with the end product. They wanted a much more um, gory horror movie with a monster when instead they got a movie that's just a big parody and satire on, you know, American consumerism and product placement. And um, I'm, I'm actually glad that this movie came out the way it did. Uh, but I think that the movie marketed it as a, as a traditional horror movie, and that's not what this is at all. John, like you said, this is almost more of a comedy than a horror, uh, aside from a few really good you know, special effects, practical effects. Yeah, there's really only, I can think of like two or three scary quote-unquote moments. Uh, some great, great practical effects, I'll give it that, but... Yeah, it wasn't very, uh, it was very funny, though. I hope intentionally, if unintentionally, well, too bad. It was still hilarious. Uh, it's, it was definitely on purpose. Uh, Larry Cohen, I've, I've read some interviews on this movie with him, and he said it's, it's what he wanted it to be. So um, it was not an unintentional thing. There's that scene where Mo and um, Nicole are, like, creeping around the, like, the stuff pit. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to go sneak down there in this suit. And she cracks her knuckles and he goes, shh. And he goes, sorry. And I'm just like, this is definitely intentional comedy. Like this, It was so out of place. And I was like, that joke hits so well for me, though. Another classic Mo line where he goes, uh, you know, I hope you're not as dumb as you appear to be. And he goes, nobody is as dumb as I appear to be. And I was like, oh, that, but I fucking laugh so hard at that. Yeah, it's it's like he's intentionally trying to be this character that, you know, exudes a, a Southern dumbness almost, you know what I mean? But he's actually very clever and he's smart. Uh, and I think that's, you know, another layer that really makes his character interesting. In the business, we call that subterfuge. <laughs> oh, that's been your vocabulary minute with Garrett. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got two, uh, two back of the boxes for you today. I like one more than the other. And uh, let me read those to you now. 
It's smooth and creamy. It's delicious. It isn't filling. It takes the country by storm. And it kills. It's the stuff. The newest taste sensation is outselling ice cream two to one and merchants can't keep up with the voracious demand. In order to save their failing businesses, an ice cream industry saboteur, Michael Moriarty, and a junk food mogul, Garrett Morris, attempt to uncover the manufacturing secret of the stuff. They soon discover that the horrifying truth about the stuff, that it is a living and all-consuming parasite that turns its host into walking zombies. Threatened on all sides and trusting no one, they suddenly find themselves in the middle of a last-ditch effort to ward off the invasion of the brand-name Body Snatchers and to save the country from the grip of this insidious and monstrous dessert. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very wordy. Here's box number two. It's a little shorter. Warning. If you see the stuff in stores, call the police. If you have it in your home, don't touch it. Get out. The stuff is a product of nature, a deadly living organism. It is addictive and destructive. It can overcome your mind and take over your body, and nothing can stop it. Wait, is that it? That's the back of the box? That's it. (laughs) I think that's just the text from the poster. Well, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I got to say that neither of these boxes really hit home that this is a satire, you know, and and kind of a lighthearted take on these these horrors, like the classic invasion of the body snatchers. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like the invasion of the body snatchers meets the blob meets like anti-corporate consumerism it's so like it's such a weird bag i I think it'd be kind of hard to describe this as a just boil it down that simple yeah definitely true so it sounds like we'd all recommend this movie um i'll I'll just get that out of the way i think everybody should watch this one so garrett is this one that was a, a a pretty common repeat growing up seeing that you were named after a character from the movie well i did i did know um garrett morris was in this movie until i actually saw it and the first time I saw it, I was like, holy crap, that's Garrett Morris. That's awesome. No, I was exposed to this movie, uh, I want to say, I want to say maybe eight years ago, something like that. Um, I saw a clip of when uh, Jason is running to the store and freaking out and knocking over shelves and like losing his mind. I thought it was like sour cream or cottage cheese. And I was like, I get what this kid is talking about. <laughs> like, I understand. I had no context for what it was. I was like, but I hate, I hate sour cream and cottage cheese too, bro. Like I get you kindred spirits. And, um, you hate sour cream. Oh, that's so gross. Both of them are so disgusting. I don't. Wow. I mean, all right. (laughs) I I, I don't even know what to say about that (laughs) level of wrongness. I don't like mayonnaise. I don't like, oh man, there's so much that's just not my bag. But anyway, just not a sauce person, I guess. Oh, I love a good sauce, but that, none of those things are sauces. Those are just bad milk products prepackaged to sell us scraps of old junk. <laughs> no, I saw that and then I was like, I have to know what this is. So I ended up like finally tracking it down and watching it. And after that, I just loved every moment of it. I, um, uh, I'm going to be on the side of big cottage cheese. I'm sorry. I love me some cottage cheese. I'm just going to throw that out there. Sorry, Garrett. I, it sounds like you don't like anything that's white. Like you don't like tartar sauce also. So. Oh, I hate tartar sauce. And it's it's not that it's white. I love I love vanilla ice cream. You know, I love marshmallow fluff. Um, I love gravy. As you guys know from Gravy Talk, big fan of gravy, cream, <laughs> you know, brown. I'm, I, I like foods of all makes and colors, but... I just really despise bad milk product. And let me tell you, the fact that they'll, they're ne- they'll never convince me to do it. I would be that kid in this movie if that was the stuff was cottage cheese or sour cream. It was a fantasy being played out in front of Garrett. Uh, that 
that scene you're talking about, dude, is probably one of the best scenes in the movie. Just this kid, and we'll get there in just a moment, but him just running and causing a muck, just throwing cartons and cartons of product on the ground while all the shoppers are just like, what the fuck is this little kid doing? You know, it was so good. It's like, it's like Southern Green level, like anger in this kid. He's just like, the stuff is people. He's just like, what the hell are you doing, dude? My favorite part of that scene is very faintly overhead. You could hear them go security to aisle seven. I was like, what the fuck kind of grocery store has security? Back in the 80s, man, this was a common occurrence. Kids would just come in and grab all the Laffy Taffy and throw it all over the place. (laughs) Crazy. This movie did have me asking questions like, how many other products do you think started out as bubbling gump coming from out of the ground? Zero. I hope it's zero. Uh, I don't understand why this person, who is apparently in some sort of marshmallow mine, (laughs) saw a hole in the ground... And was like, you know, I'm going to put it in my mouth. That's just not a thing that I think any reasonable person would ever do. Never. Never in a million years. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys, if you ever saw just a bubbling, like, oozing, like, material coming out of the ground, would you be like, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot? No. <laughs> Marshmallow mine. <laughs> that cracks me up, <laughs> Yeah, Marshmallow mine. I like, I like to uh, envision people in hard hats just cracking away, you know, marshmallow crystals. But I was thinking more of like an oil derrick. You know, they're going to have like a, a huge oil pump just pumping this marshmallow gelatinous substance out of the ground. I would have loved to have seen a there will be blood type scene where a fucking oil like, thing just spurts white. Like <laughs> the world's most subtle bukkake reference. I drink your milkshake. Well, listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, the movie starts off with we're at some sort of site where an old gentleman who works at this location, uh, it is compl- I thought it was snow, right? It looks like it's completely been snowing there. And there's a little puddle coming up from the ground. It's kind of oozing and bubbling. And this old worker walks up and he's like, what is that? And like, you know, his coworkers are... It is snow because cause the guy goes like, what are you doing, eating snow? And he's like, I wouldn't eat snow. But like, it's like, dude, you're eating something else. Like, it's not that far off. It's even worse. You know what snow is. This is an unknown substance. Yeah. And it's like his coworker <laughs> runs up and he's like, what you doing? He's like, taste this and like sticks his finger in his face. I would never eat anything offered to me on a man's hand. <laughs> nothing, not strawberry jam, not, not nothing, dude. I'm not licking another man's fingers. That's just off limits. Especially this day and age. But like, <laughs> also, his coworker runs up and is, this guy must eat off the ground constantly because when he's like, oh, I'm just eating from this ground hole, his coworker <laughs> doesn't blink at all. She's like, uh, I don't want any, thank you. Yeah, that's old Charlie just eating from the ground hole again. Don't worry about him. <laughs> uh, yeah, but after after it's discovered by this old man, we cut to presumably enough time to get this product to market, right? We're, we're introduced with a commercial. And man, I love stuff commercials. And this first one starts off with a woman who is somehow nine years old, but also 65. And she's trying to be sexy, but has a smoker's cough voice it's really weird yeah it's like if you know me you know i love ice cream and it's just like and then i grew up and now i love the stuff and you're just like what the hell is a super weird commercial but i did i agree i love these and she's wearing a giant fur coat 
Yeah, she's wearing a fur coat too. Yeah, and I was like, is she trying to be seductive? Because it just comes off so strange. And I was wondering, was like she was she like a known quantity? Like was she somebody back then, like a, a model or actress or something? I think probably. But maybe yeah, maybe it's a, a reference to a commercial that was famous back then. That's also very likely. Yeah, and then uh, is, is this the point where we're introduced to Jason? Yeah, the poor kid's just sneaking around his house to go get something to eat, and he gets well. Then he sees the stuff slightly move, uh, and he gets caught by his dad, who's just irrationally mad about it. He's just so mad. This kid is going to the fridge to get a snack. At, I mean, I guess it's late, but he maybe that's how parents were in the eighties. But he like goes from zero to a hundred instantly. Yeah, he was definitely being kind of a dickhead, and I was wondering. Um, and maybe we need to go ahead and explain this up front to our listeners, but this was like a moment of, is he already mind altered by this product, right? Who, the dad? Yeah, the dad, exactly. Uh, why don't one of you guys kind of explain exactly what happens and in, in what this product does to a person? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> um, also, just just so you guys know, the, the lady who we're talking about from that commercial, her name is Laureen Landon. She was in Maniac Cop. And Maniac Cop 2 is Teresa Malloy. Oh, that's Teresa. Yeah, she was also in Airplane 2, uh, Full Moon High, Scoring, Roller Boogie, Enter the Samurai. Like, she's done some roles. Like, so she was known. Like, um, so this has got to be like some kind right of on. nod. Cool. I think the stuff came out before Maniac Cop. So anyway, yeah, we, we cut to Jason, who's in his room woken up like pissed off like he's getting bit by mosquitoes and he's hot and he's like god this goddamn window i'm so hot this is miserable goes downstairs like you said now he sees the stuff move at this point right am i right yeah the kid does yeah he opens his fridge opens up his fridge and the carton of the stuff think of like a, a pint of ice cream right that's how it's sold in the in the the shopping marts so the the lid is off and the and the carton's over tipped on its side and this this white it looks like for for lack of a better term, it's just like like marshmallow paste or something, right? And it's oozing across the ground like a living blob. Yeah, and he freaks out, and then that's when the dad like grabs him and is all like, he, "Yeah, you're right." He completely irrationally like just like, "What have I told you about being down here at night?" And then like smacks him on the ass like, and just like sends him back up the stairs to bed. And then that's when we cut right to the boat where a bunch of uh, I guess are these ice cream execs? I'd like to imagine that Bluebell and fucking um, <laughs> like Briars and Ben and Jerry's get on a boat and meet like a bunch of rich people like smoking cigars. Like, all right, we control the world. Yeah, these are all ice cream moguls. Okay, these are uh, these are the kings of ice cream. I want to be a king of ice cream so bad. <laughs> this movie is treating us to an inside look of big ice cream, right? This is how all the decisions are made by yacht, <laughs> by all the guys that get together and they're like, all right. How are we going to get Neapolitan ice cream out to the rural markets? <laughs> you said decisions being made by yacht. <laughs> I love that. I hope all business is done by yacht. It's got to be. There's got to be. Uh, it's a yacht meeting, guys. Dress appropriately. Yeah, they hire Mo to basically like um, kind of he comes in and that's when we get that that great scene. He's all like, they call me Mo because whenever they, someone gives me money, I want Mo of it. They're like, well, Mo, this is what we're kind of wanting. We're kind of want you to find out what's going on with the stuff because they're killing our business. And that's when we find out that Mo is evidently ex-CIA, and he has dirt on everyone because he snuck into one of the guy's room and put like a transponder in his pocket, and then like basically shows them how good he can be. And then they're like, okay, he's our man. Go get him. 
Yeah, so the the stuff is is uh, overtaking the share of the dessert market, I guess. So yeah. they're like, we're going to get mowing here. We can't figure out exactly what the stuff is made of. We can't reproduce the recipe in our labs. So, Mo, you're going to go in there. You're going to infiltrate the stuff, and you're going to find out what it is exactly. And that's kind of his where he's hired on. They give him a, a check or something, and then he socks a guy on the way out of the yacht. Yeah, I didn't understand that. He's like, hey, you know, here's a message for you. And he just punches that guy so hard. I think he killed him. Well, when he first gets there, like, the guy is, like, being a dick to him. He, like, says something like, oh, aren't you that disgraced CIA guy who got caught for taking bribes? Like, basically, like, really talk shit about his credibility and his history. So when on the way out, he decked the guy kind of like, I didn't forget that you talk shit to me. I think Mo killed that man. <laughs> you think so? I mean, we don't see him get There's back. There's blood on your hands, Mo. Yeah, we don't see him get back up. He punches him so fucking hard, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so the movie's going to intercut between the story with Mo and Jason, and we're also introduced to Nicole, who is the head of the marketing for the stuff nationally, right? So we we cut to her, and she's on set of a commercial with women in, in like bikinis and wearing fur coats, walking around with cartons of the stuff. And I really enjoyed these moments because it was just so silly uh, watching this stuff go down. But it's so true. Like commercial commercials back in the 80s, was, you know, sex sells and all that kind of stuff was going on. So it was a perfect parody of like... Yeah, evidently fur is integral to like selling this stuff because everyone in their marketing has a fur coat on. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, and, and I wonder now I kind of want to go back and scour YouTube and see, did Bluebell make a bunch of bikini clad women commercials? I know Budweiser did. <laughs> Bluebell is classy as hell and I will not have you disparage their name. Other than the fact that they almost gave us Listerine that one time and killed us. Oh, wait, was it Listerine? Listeria? Listine? Listeria. Okay, not Listerine. That's the mouthwash. Um, yeah. But yeah, they've really stepped their game up, so hopefully none of that will ever happen again. But other than that, Bluebell is a sight. Yeah, Bluebell is an evening gown, not a bikini uh, commercial company, okay? <laughs> You're right. You're right. I'm sorry, Mr. Bell. I apologize on behalf of the Grave Talk. So this is this is uh, Mo's first stop, right? He, he's going to go talk to this lady, and I don't know how he got her information or why he decided to start his investigation with the marketing campaign. Do you guys, did you guys, did I miss something? Nope. It just cuts there, and there he is. They needed a female lead, and damn it, that's how we got it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And he's made up a whole story too, right? He's like, I'm coming in, and, and he's like interrupting the whole uh, commercial shoot. He's like shutting it down. He's like, everybody take five, go grab a smoke. And then the lady, Nicole's like, what the hell are you doing, man? And he's like, don't worry about it. Listen, I'm interested in buying your organization. And she's like, you know, kind of shaking. And she's like, go dig up information on this guy. And then she's like, all, 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 you know, all of a sudden really interested in what he has to say with no credentials, really. Right. She falls for his line of shit so fast. Like soon as he's like, oh, I'm talking about buying the whole company. She's like, all right, I'm in. It's like, dude, don't you want to check him out first? But nope, not in the 80s. It's called due diligence. <laughs> yeah, that's just a testament to Mo Rutherford. That's what he can do, man. That's what his skills are hired for. <laughs> Mo Rutherford could sell ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> Truth. You're damn right. Yeah, so basically at this point we've seen... So we basically now know Mo is going to go through the marketing lady and kind of work his way up the chain and, and find out what's going on with that. And on the other side of the spectrum, we got Jason who's whose family was like, oh man, we're running low on the stuff and we'll go get some more. And he's like, you guys shouldn't eat that. It's bad. It's alive. And out of nowhere, this kid has a, an understanding of 
this product that no one should have other than the fact that he maybe like the uh, the general at the end is just a paranoid psychopath. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, okay, I, he saw it move, but also it was like three in the morning. He was sleepy, like off of this one thing. He makes such a jump of logic. I mean, it turns out to be right. But damn, kid, like turn your paranoia down a little bit, huh? Look, a broken clock gets the time right twice a day at least. So, <laughs> fair enough. You guys, you guys should have seen Jason when they introduced new Coke, dude. It was every morning at four thirty a.m. He was losing his shit, rioting in the streets. <laughs> oh man! So they go to the store to get some more stuff, um, but he's like actually getting like real food, and then like they're like, oh, he sees it everywhere, and he just. Instead of going like, wow, this could be a real problem, he just immediately is like goes from like zero to 100 is like, you know what I got to do? I got to destroy all this stuff. So he starts freaking out and like, put it up. It's bad for you. It's made of people. And he's like knocking over like displays. He's jumping into the cooler section and flinging it on the floor. They, they call for security over the, uh, the, the loudspeaker, which I also laughed my ass off when I first heard that. And they pull him away like, Jason, what are you doing? And he's just like... It's not okay. And then, like, we cut back to the house where the family is, like, and, and there's no repercussions for this. This is kind of like, oh, that kid. <laughs> so. Oh, well, th- well, there is. There is. There is one pre- repercussion, and Jason says a line that I was like, I believe this is really the first time we've ever had this. But he goes, grounded for life. Oh, shucks. And I was like, I bet he really is grounded for life after that display in the produce aisle of that, uh, you know, the Kroger's, man. You deserve to get grounded for life, Jason. <laughs> he'd be grounded in prison. That's where he'd be. <laughs> Juvenile Hall, Jason. Um, but also, what was this kid's I guess he's a kid, but did he think that all of the stuff in the universe was in his one grocery store? That if he just destroyed all this stuff, there'd be no more? There's got to be a a spark to start a flame. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Fair enough, man. I get it. I was just going to say, you know, Jason being 10 years old, he hasn't quite grasped the idea of delivery trucks and distribution distribution there you go he doesn't know anything about distribution just yet (laughs) yeah he's got a long way to go but he's on the right path evidently (laughs) so we cut back to mo at this point with the uh the marketing lady and this is where we first get the we get the like seriously from the previous cut he was like i'm gonna buy your company she's like oh i don't know who you are now she's completely on board with the plan he takes her to a a science lab where the ice cream like like scientists are like trying to reproduce it. And he's like, this is Nicole. She's from the marketing. She's going to help us out. And then that's when one of the scientists is like, did you see this kid freak out in Georgia about the stuff? And then Mo immediately goes, I'm going to Georgia. Yeah. (laughs) Just then we cut back to Jason in his house. That's where we find out where he's been grounded for life. Well, in the lab, they say this ridiculous thing. They go, the stuff doesn't have to uh, reveal its ingredients because of the identity law or some nonsense. It's like, just like Coke doesn't have to reveal its secret formula. And the guy's holding a can of Coke. But on every can of Coke, all the ingredients are listed. It just doesn't tell you in what proportion you have to put them in. It's not like they can hide what's in Coke. We're still hiding the cocaine. That one's not on the (laughs) the bottle, John. (laughs) Uh, Of course, of course. You know, I do want to touch, before we get to that part, uh, Garrett, I just want to say that, you know, the whole portion of Nicole telling her... her, um, her assistant to go look into Mo Rutherford never pans out. And like you said, all of a sudden she's just on the team. And it's like, is this part of the, you know, was this a section that was cut out by the studio, I wonder? 
Well, at this point, she still thinks he's going to own the company because it's not till later after he goes and talks to the ice cream, one of the ice cream moguls and they offer him $25,000 that he comes clean with her. And then she just shrugs her shoulders. Uh, So right now at this stage of the movie, she still thinks he's an oil baron who's going to buy her company. No, that's the stuff CEO. That's not like the ice cream guy, but that's the stuff CEO. But yeah, yeah, because like you're right. She's still, but yeah, that's so weird. It's just like, I guess he's going to buy it. I have to do whatever he says now. But she's a she's a very capable, like independent woman, because like he talks about her backstory is like, I also hear you're not the kind of person to wait in line. She's like, how'd you hear about that story? And I was like, are you going to fill any of us in? Because we don't know that story. (laughs) Nope. Going to have to guess. (laughs) But this is where um, this is where the story gets interesting, because before we actually get back to um, Jason's house, where he does the scene that I'll let you talk about, Mark, um, this is where um Mo does some research and finds out that a lot of these people who discovered it and worked on it ended up like he went to the FDA, the guy who worked at the FDA. He goes to his house and that's played by um, Danny Aieo, I think. Right. I think so. Yeah. Okay. And um, he's got this giant Doberman pincher and he's like, so tell me about how you guys approve the stuff through the testing. And the guy's like, look. There's no law that says we have to approve something before it goes to market. We're just supposed to test it to make sure it's not bad. And so um, he's acting squirrely and Mo like kind of sneaks around his house and realizes this guy's probably on the take and finds out that there's a small town in Georgia where people who worked on the stuff like moved to or checks were being sent to. So he's like, I'm going to go ahead and leave. You have a good day. And then after he leaves... Like, he goes, are you hungry, boy, to his dog? Because evidently the dog, like, when you eat the stuff, you become, like, addicted, like, crazy level, like, crack addiction almost type stuff. Yeah, the the this is the uh, the FDA guy, right? Or the one that did, you said that did the testing. He owns, like, this giant Doberman pincher, and he's also very physically afraid of it. Um, and I guess have we, we haven't mentioned that, like, whenever the consumer eats stuff, you're actually consuming a uh, like an, a parasite, right? It takes over the person that eats it and starts living inside of you, and it's it's almost like invasion of the body snatchers, like we mentioned, right? Um, do you think at that point, like you're dead, and it's just the thing living inside you, kind of controlling you? Your body is like a puppet. I don't think you're you're dead. I think you're just kind of at the mercy because later at the end, when Chocolate Chip Charlie has his scene in the uh, radio station, which we'll talk about. He's talking pretty coherently, stuff that the the stuff would not have relayed information-wise. I think the stuff just uses the, the human body as kind of like a uh, a vehicle to to get things done. I don't think it necessarily takes over your your brain. I think it just kind of like makes you more susceptible to its will. Okay. There, there, you know, there, there's several scenes that we'll get to, and it's just like whenever the stuff exits the consumer's body, and then they're kind of just laying on the ground like empty husks. So that's why I was like, I wonder if you're dead automatically as soon as like it takes you over. Maybe when it, maybe when it leaves you, you're dead because yeah, when it when it leaves the bodies, that's when people kind of become like yeah. lifeless husks. Yeah, I think they're pretty clear later in the movie that when it leaves you, it kills you. Like that's that's the end of the game. But I think you're just sort of influenced by it before then. But this is the scene where the, uh, the giant Doberman pincher, like, like he goes to the, the fridge, the FDA guy and he goes like, Oh, we're out of it. I'm so sorry. And the dog loses its shit and starts beating him and like attacking him and chases him upstairs. 
the FDA guy knocks the phone onto the floor and he's trying to get it. The dog runs over to the cord in the wall and yanks it out of the wall with its mouth. Yeah, that was so weird. <laughs> and I'm like, how did the dog know to do this? But like, it's the funniest fucking thing because it's not anything a dog would ever do. But yeah, it goes, unplugs the phone line <laughs> and then attacks and kills the guy. The the Doberman Pinscher is the, the host body for the entity stuff living in this house, this FDI guy's house, because he makes mention that he didn't try the product, he didn't eat it, so he's still completely human, and he's almost like a prisoner in his house. He's being guarded by this Doberman Pinscher. And when he gets it attacked, when it pulls the, the phone cord out, the dog opens its mouth and the stuff starts coming out of his mouth. It was a super disgusting but really well done uh, special effect. Yeah, that's that was pretty crazy. That that freaked me out the first time I saw it. I was like, what is this dog's problem? And then when it like unplugged the phone cord, I was like, oh, you are fucked, my man. Like, you're, there's, you're not getting out of this. <laughs> and that's when uh, we cut to Mo in that small town, Georgia town that small town georgia town that small town in georgia where he's like so everybody moved down here where is everybody and then the gas station attendant's like i just put out a fresh towel do you want to go use it <laughs> he was so adamant about that towel yeah uh most he's a car off in the distance he's like whose car is that walks over and checks it out and then he's immediately attacked by our man chocolate chip charlie who comes out, jumps on him, knocks him to the ground, goes to punch his head on the ground and punches the like the concrete. And then they have like a little tussle. And he's like, wait a minute, are you chocolate chip Charlie? He's like, yeah, man, you know me, get off me. <laughs> and then they have this great moment where everybody in the world just knows who chocolate chip Charlie is, which I love the idea of a cookie magnet being that popular. Yeah, I think it would be the equivalent of like flow the insurance lady. You know what I mean? Like everybody knows the character that uh, that person portrays from all the progressive commercials or whatever. So I was kind of getting that vibe. It's like, you know, it's a national well-known spokesman, if you will. But obviously he's the owner of the company. Like an Ernest? (laughs) Sure, yeah. One of the things I read, it was like based on Famous Amos from the cookies, you know? And apparently that person was a very famous spokesperson who got pushed out of his company by shareholders. um, And that's where they got the idea for chocolate chip Charlie. Gotcha. That makes sense. And it's based on that whole story. So damn, that's crazy. Yeah. But you find out that uh, chocolate chip Charlie had been pushed out of his company by his brother and his like co-owners. And he's like, they didn't have to push me out. I would have, I would have sold. So he's trying to find out what's going on and get revenge for ruining his company. So basically chocolate chip Charlie's whole thing is just basically revenge. Yeah, and I just want to say that I wished that we got more Chocolate Chip Charlie and Mo Rutherford. Like, I want a, a series of movies or a television program where those two are just going up and busting up crime rings. <laughs> like, I thought their chemistry was fantastic. They were so much fun to watch on screen. A buddy cop flick. Yeah, exactly. And Chocolate Chip Charlie's whole thing, like, his character is, like, he's, he is a very good fighter, and he makes it known if there's one thing that Chocolate Chip Charlie knows, it's how to fight. So he's almost like the muscle of this two-man team. Well, he says his fists are registered as lethal weapons with, like, a Georgia, like, <laughs> court or something like that. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I want to know more about that. John, do you think that was just a flex? Oh, about the, oh, that was totally a flex, but a good flex, because, you know, we later see him punch a door, and I got to tell you what, he fucks up that paper-thin door. So it must be true. Well, he punches his fist through a dude's head, though, doesn't he? Like later on when they're running away. But it was a stuffed dude, so a stuffy as they call him. So their skull <laughs> must have been like marshmallow because everyone was fucking him up. You could have like poked him and they were 
collapsing. Oh, like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Oh, man. He should have made appearance, a special guest appearance, the Stay Puft. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they're, they're, so they devise a plan, right? Charlie is going to go out to the D.C. and talk to, like, an FBI guy, right? Yeah. They end up splitting up, and then that's the last we see of Chocolate Chip Charlie for a long time, which is a bummer. Yeah, and that's when Mo goes to meet the CEO of the the company that actually is putting out the stuff. And that that old white dude is famous. He's been in so many movies in like the 80s as like a a, a super rich bad guy. I can't remember his name. But um, yeah, he meets him. And then that, that guy, the CEO is like, oh, yeah, the people that found it were like crazy addicted to it. Like they couldn't live without it. So I bought it and I put it out. Now, this dude has also never tried this stuff because he knows how addicted it is, addicting it is. Um and then he tries to buy Mo Rutherford. He's like, I know you're trying to to corrupt me and, and basically put me out of business. And he's like, but you won't succeed. And Mo's like, I could just kill you. And they laugh. And then he tries to b- bribe Mo with $25,000. And does Mo take that money? Yeah, he totally does. He's working both sides of this. Oh, yeah. I love this guy's office. It's insane. There's like a stuffed polar bear and just all kinds of crazy shit in the background of this guy's office. It's pretty much amazing. And uh, if I become a billionaire stuff mongol, I'm going to base my office on his office, (laughs) just for the record. I love it. I want to come visit. (laughs) After he leaves here, the next thing we know is Mo is in New York City talking to the lady And this is when she's like, oh, I feel so bad because I'm the one who marketed the stuff and this is all my fault. And then Mo goes, all right, well, look, we all do bad things. Do you want to trade sins? And she's like, sure, I'll trade sins with you. And he goes, well, hey, guess what? I'm not actually an oil mongol. I'm an industrial espionage person. And she's just like, huh, well, all right, fair enough. Then why don't you go to the FBI? Uh, And she just takes this whole shit in stride that her whole life up till now has been a lie uh, since she met Mo. Yeah, everyone does that in this movie. Everyone's like confronted with like really jarring information. Everyone's like, okay, cool. So what next? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you know, and, and they end up being a couple. You think she'd at least a little bit be mad that theoretically she quit her job or in some way thought she was going to take over this company because Mo just bald faced lied to her. Yeah. And this is when they go to the the lab. I'm, I'm, I messed up earlier, but this is where they go to the lab. And that's when the, the lab technician guy goes like, did you see this kid freak out in Georgia about the stuff? And then that's when Mo's like, we're going to Georgia. Yeah. Jason's house is um, he's 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 not safe in his own home. He's wary of his parents. There's a scene where he's like looking into the trash can and all the fresh, good human food has been thrown away uneaten. And right next to it's like a trash bag full of empty stuff containers. And I don't know if you guys, this this for me was really reminiscent to a Toby Hooper movie back in the mid-80s that I watched called, um, it was some alien invasion movie where a kid's parents got taken over from an alien meteorite crash that happened in his backyard and his parents got little tiny drills put in the back of their necks. And then uh, all of a sudden, like they were taken over and the kid was freaked out. And I remember that movie really freaked the hell out of me as a kid. I don't know if I'm just talking out my ass right now. Do you guys know what I'm talking about or what that movie was called? It doesn't ring the bell, but I feel like that was a big trope in the 80s and early 90s. Movies where parents got taken over and kids had to solve the whole problem. So uh... It's called, uh, I found the title, it's called Invaders from Mars. Hmm. 
very, very similar premise. You know, the, the whole idea of not being able to trust your parents kind of freaked me out a little bit as a kid. So definitely Invaders from Mars was uh, one of those that did that for me. And, and this was de- this is definitely one of those situations here. Now, Jason is really unsure what to do. And his parents are all sitting around watching the older brother play Zaxxon video game on his computer. And they're like, hey, you need to stop being a little bitch. And you need to go ahead and start eating the stuff. It's great for you. Look. And mom's like, I lost five pounds. Look, it's it's healthy for you. Come on, Jason. Just go ahead and eat it. And his dad like hands him a cart and is like, get upstairs. You're not allowed to leave until you consume this whole container. I have a note that basically says, I gar- I bet you a hundred bucks that Mark knows exactly what fucking video game that kid was playing on the TV. I did. I looked at it. I was like, I think that's Zaxxon. And I went and looked it up. And sure enough, I was right. Look, I got I to gotta stay on my toes, man. People know me as the video game guy. I got to be ready to bring the knowledge on that <laughs> front. You know? I did love in this scene that the older brother is like... Uh, wearing these giant 3D glasses and he's just looking at this book called Amazing 3D and I may have been too young for this so I'm going to rely on y'all. Did that Was that like a form of entertainment in the 80s? Is Did y'all just look at 3D books with giant 3D glasses? Yes. Oh man, I missed out. I think I would have dug that. Yeah, 3D was... It was a tour de force at one point. Like to be able to sit down and look at something in 3D you were just like, yo, I'm making time for this. <laughs> yeah um the whole thing about this particular body invasion movie really differs that from say like invasion of the body snatchers which we have done here you know the invasion of the body snatchers was all about no emotion you know being very kind of logical and and coarse whereas this everybody seems to be acting almost the same i mean at least the older brother there was no way that i could have told the older brother was taken over at any point yeah i don't think it changed you too much as much as much as just made you like want more so you could become a vessel for the entity yeah it it would make living in the stuff universe much more difficult i think than the invasion of the body snatcher universe just because you wouldn't be able to tell who's who or you know who's still good and safe i guess you could just wear some stuff around your neck and if someone went for it you'd be like ah they're corrupted (laughs) yeah so Jason goes upstairs with his carton of the stuff and he does the old swap, right? He he's he goes into the bathroom and he puts a bunch of shaving cream in there. And I got to give it to him. I was like, okay, this is actually kind of smart. Until he goes downstairs and his parents are like, how are you enjoying it? He's like, this is really good. I think I'm going to need more. I think I'm going to need like another one for when I get tired or hungry. And then the parents are like, what? We don't get tired. Since we've been on the stuff, we never sleep. And it's like, oh, the jig is up. And then doesn't he like go and throw up the uh, the shaving cream anyway? It's like, well, come on, kid. You were eating straight shaving cream. The crazy <laughs> thing is to me is how did they not hear him flush that shit down the toilet anyway? You think that's when the jig would have been up. Also, he didn't need to come down with a full container. He could have just put shaving cream on the side and had an empty container and been like, look, I ate it. I think he really had to sell it. I think they were already suspicious of Jason. So I think him like going down like I'm going to although he should have filled the container up all the way. He should have like only put like a little bit at the bottom like, look, I'm almost done. Yeah. And then like they would have been like, got it. Right. You'd be like, I cleared this stuff out so fast, you know, but. Also, they weren't physically barring him from leaving, so it felt like at any point he could have just left without eating shaving cream, but whatever. (laughs) Maybe the kid really wanted to try shaving cream. Look, that's just good cinema, okay, John? (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll give him an E for effort on that. He's still got more to learn. 
you know, on his deception. But at this point, they start chasing him out of the house, or he runs away, and they're like, get back here, Jason. You know, one of us moments. One of us, come over here and, and, and take your medicine. And then all of a sudden, Mo Rutherford just happens to be driving by. Well, he's on his way to Jason's house. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did mention they said that earlier. Um, so Jason just becomes part of the team. Yeah, like no tryout, no audition. He's just like, welcome to the team, son. Like he jumps in the car, throws up in it. And Mo's like, you want to you want to crack a window? And then they go to the airfield where Nicole's waiting for them. And then they're like, OK, let's go to the stuff factory. And you're just like, I'm sorry. Like there's no he introduces Jason and Nicole, not by like, oh, we're going to take care of this kid. Just like this is Jason. This is Nicole. Let's go. And everyone's like, cool. It's so weird how it progresses. Yeah, it, there was a good scene, though, like Nicole and the pilot looking at each other is like, who the hell is this kid? And it's like, OK. So they land after um, going because they're going to go to the factory where the stuff is supposedly like made. Um, they land and he tells the pilot, hey, take Jason to Atlanta or D.C. I can't remember which location it is, but he says, you're going to fly Jason somewhere. And then me and Nicole are going to go check the factory out and... Um, that's when they do that. They use a little subterfuge with the, the plant bosses to get in there. But as that's going on, Jason sees the pilot. The stuff comes out of the pilot, and Jason's like, oh, shit, he's compromised. I got to go. So Jason runs off and ends up in a cave at some point. And then we cut back to uh, Mo and um, Nicole at the factory. And this is where we're watching, like, they're putting the stuff through, like, mixers and machines and stuff like that and i'm wondering like if this is a living entity do you think it likes being mixed up like that do you think it's like a massage for it or do you think it's really annoyed by it but it knows it has to do it it probably likes it but um to go back just to the to the jason scene where he gets captured it's so ridiculous he ends up in a cave because he gets captured by the postman from georgia who somehow ended up on the tarmac where this private plane landed um this is the second of three times this post person will show up uh in crazy places in this movie i don't oh yeah that's right i forgot about that part <laughs> yeah he just like pops up and you can see him through the window and that's how he captures jason it totally freaking crazy um but to your original question i think the stuff gets off on it that's why that's how they make more stuff it comes all over and you have no idea when it does <laughs> ew i am now uncomfortable thank you very much john oh you're so welcome <laughs> <laughs> so the factory uh people kind of like like this is a little bit awkward they're taking pictures you know like Tell you what, we're going to cut this tour short. We've got a hotel for you guys. You guys can spend the night, and then tomorrow we'll start bright and early. And then that's when we cut to the the hotel. And Mo makes a comment when they're checking in. He's like, oh, thank God you got us adjoining rooms because she likes to boss me around or something like that. But then they're in the same room. Yeah, I don't know if that was as like part of the disguise of being in, in working for the company. Like They didn't want to appear to be romantically involved. You know what I mean? I don't know. It was it was a strange thing, and I was like, "What does that matter at all?" You just described like half this movie. It's a strange thing where you're like, "What does that matter at all?" <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's true. It's very true. But this is a this is an awesome scene um, when they're trying to sleep. John, do you want to, John or Mark? Do you want to take us? Um. Well, I don't fully remember it. I know they get attacked by stuff, and then it's very reminiscent of Friday the Thirteenth. Not for I'm a total liar. Very, very reminiscent of Nightmare on Elm Street, where the stuff drags of one of the people up the wall. Um. But my memory is very hazy. I'm not going to lie to y'all. When did you watch this movie? Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think there is a short romance love scene that is interrupted by stuff exploding through the side of the hotel room, right? And they're I'm actually, scrambling. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you because... Is it from the mattress? I love the fact that you thought there was a romantic love scene because there's not. He's reading the fucking file on his pillow. She's laying in the bed next to him. She leans up, cracks her neck twice. He looks at her like, what the fuck? And she goes back to sleep. And that's when he's attacked out of the, by the stuff that comes out of his pillow. Jesus. There's no sexiness at all. He gives her this look like, Jesus Christ, your neck is all fucked up. And she just goes right back to bed. Oh, I wonder why I just interjected a non-existent love scene in there. I don't know. <laughs> you were just imagining a better movie. Well, I don't think so. But based on what happens is, yeah, the, the stuff starts pouring out of the bed. And then I think some man in flannel runs in. I was like, who's that? And then he's like a stuffy, I guess is what we're calling him, right? Chocolate Chip Charlie calls him the stuffies. And um, he gets thrusted against the wall. And like you were describing, John, the scene from Friday, the th- you made me do it, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, um, where it's splashing up against the ceiling and it's defying gravity. It's really a cool effect. I like this scene a lot. Yeah, this is one of those scenes where they, they clearly are pouring a liquid. They, they've got the camera stationary and then the, um, the set is actually tilted like it's spinning so it looks like um or it's on its side so when the stuff is coming being poured out of the side of the wall of the scene it looks like it's coming out of the bed and shooting up against the wall and it pushes this guy up to the ceiling and the stuff is attacking him that dude's from the factory he came to actually make sure that that they got killed and when they burn the stuff because the stuff jumps on moe's face oh yeah and he's yeah, getting yeah. attacked and he's getting suffocated and she immediately is like i'm gonna burn it off of you which i'm like that is probably the second most unsafe option you have available and then she burns it off of him and they're like okay and that's when the dude runs and he's like you're not getting away i'm gonna kill you and that's when he gets thrown into the stuff and he gets attacked and then they end up torching the ho-ho the whole hotel oh my god they end up torching the whole hotel and um, they leave, and that's when they go to the stuff pit. You know, they're really lucky that they stayed at a hotel that still had kerosene lamps. What year is it? 1914? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. I was like, no, I don't. I did a lot of traveling in the 80s, you guys. I was a, a World War traveler, and uh, I never stayed at any hotel that had a kerosene lantern. But I digress. Well, I love the fact that she took the time to actually like take it apart and then like just gently pour some of it on him instead of like just throwing it all over him, which is smart because you don't want to burn his entire body up. But still, I was like, this is, like I said, one of the most unsafe options for making this happen. Like just light something on fire and put it next to it. Don't like douse him (laughs) and then light him on fire. It's a risky move. And Nicole decided to take a chance. uh, But luckily, Mo survives. It pays off. They what I what so they le- they leave the motel and they see a truck and Mo is like huh that's a convenient time to be driving around where you don't want people to be looking they follow the truck and that's how they end up at the uh, the stuff pit and Mo is like I'm gonna go check shit out and the lady is like wait you're gonna get caught but conveniently Mo has a uniform so he goes down there looks around. People are acting weird or whatever, but he manages to steal the truck. Now, this part I don't remember how, but somehow Jason ends up in the back of that truck uh, that he stole. Very convenient. Jason is sneaking around the the mine that's been closed down 
where the the stuff was originally found and he realizes that oh they're they're sucking it straight out of the ground so jason climbs up on a tanker truck to try to stay out of people's sight and then he like ends up crawling into a tanker truck <laughs> so as all these trucks are basically being filled up at the stuff pit uh, Jason's gets a little bit of stuff inside of it and then Jason starts calling for help and as Mo is walking by Mo's like Jason is that you in there doesn't react like what the fuck he's just like oh I guess you're stuck in a tanker you know this this movie uh, this movie has a lot of convenience that you have to take with a grain of salt like being walking by a, there's no way he would have heard Jason in that tanker yeah <laughs> like, but you know the movie's premise is so ridiculous to begin with. Like, I'm, I'm not holding that against it. It's like, okay, sure, why not? Let's keep going, movie. I'm having a good time. Yeah, you don't really think about these these types of things until the movie's over. Like, as you're watching it, you're like, makes sense to me. But like, yeah, afterwards, you're like, well, that was really convenient. But yeah, so he steals that truck that Jason's in, um, and they start leaving. And then the um, Nicole, who gets stopped by the cops on the way or no the postman again she gets attacked by that postman when she yeah. pokes his eye out and that's the death of the postman <laughs> finally uh and then mo picks her up in the truck and they break out they're driving down and this is where they get pulled over by the popo yeah the cop stops them and then they basically the cops like get out of the car now the cop knows that they're they're fugitives and stuff so he's got them all standing there and then jason and the i almost said the mom jason and nicole like see stuff leaking out of the back of the the tanker and they're like it seems we've sprung a leak. It's a shame all that stuff is going to waste. I gotta go get some. Let's go get Officer, some. I'm so hungry. You know how it is. You get so hungry if you go without the stuff for more than an hour or two. I bet you're hungry too, aren't you, Officer? You're a hungry guy. God, I'm so hungry. Come on, Officer. Fake eating it. Officer, it's so good. I'm sure you want some, don't you? Ah, uh, it's great. Hmm. And Mo walks up and karate chops him in the back of the neck. (laughs) Then that's when we cut to Mo, Nicole, and Jason pulling up on a random military compound. It was such a weird cut. They're driving around, and Nicole says something like, So, what are we going to do? Are we going to find a little town and hole up there? And he's like, Nah, they're probably all taken over. You know, the population numbers are so small. We're going to go hide in a big city. And then they show up to a fortress in the middle of nowhere with just an army. I was like, that's not a city. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is this an officially sanctioned military group? Or is this like just a rogue general who was all like, I did my time. Now I'm going to start my own militia. Dude, I think it's a a militia. I think it's like a right wing militia. Holy shit. That's crazy. Because it's a they are well. They're a well-oiled machine. This is like it looked like the U.S. military. Yeah, it was nuts. Um but I do want to touch on this because I, I did laugh and it was an 80s reference I got. In the motel, we're greeted to another stuff commercial and it's a Where's the Beef parody where they got the same lady. She's like, where's the stuff? Uh, I was like, oh, shit. I remember that. Um, so A plus. Com- I was going to ask. I was like, was that the same? Like, where's the beef lady? Because I was like, this is definitely a parody of Where's the yeah, Beef. Yeah, same lady. They paid her $15,000 for that one scene. So Holy shit. Yeah, she was getting work. You can't leave out the fact that the person sitting across from where's the beef lady is Abe Bogota. Yes, it is Abe Bogota. National treasure, Abe Bogota. We miss you, Abe. Oh, man. Yeah. So, man, I love that. Actually, that commercial made me laugh. Like most of the commercials, I was like, okay, standard 80s garbage. But that one actually made me chuckle quite a bit. Yeah, that was top tier. So back to the weird right wing militia. Uh, They get captured and Moe's like, take me to... 
Big Polly. Uh, I don't remember his name. <laughs> Big Polly. I was about to say he's from he's from Goodfellas. He's like the uh, the Bob boss from Goodfellas. So I kept wanting to call him Polly. Also, yeah. uh, that's all I could think of. And it's like he's also the he's also the mob boss in Rocketeer. Oh, really? Yeah, that's pretty much his role. Every movie he did after this was mob boss. Yeah, and he goes up there and he's like. Hey, FYI, I have pictures of you cheating with your wife, but I didn't send them anywhere. That's why I was kicked out of the FBI, because I didn't want to ruin your life. And the guy's like, you know, I could just throw you off this tower right here, and you'd fall right there. And I was like, damn, dude. Yeah, I got to say, this whole scene, this is such a strange flex for Mo to do. And it, it ultimately seems... Like, it's not necessary. Like, he's being so threatening with this colonel. He's like, you know, I got your name from a, an FBI guy I know. Uh, basically knew that if I ever got in trouble, I was going to come out to this compound and talk to you. But you know what? I've got evidence that you had a 17-year-old girl uh, living in a house that you're paying for. Basically, imp- you know, implying this dude is being, you know, sleeping with an underage girl. Yeah. Well, there was also a racist element to it because he goes a 17 underage black girl. And I was like, oh, and then like I was like, well, that's kind of a weird note. And then like later on, like the generals all like when he when chocolate chip, he meets chocolate chip. Charlie, he's like, I will permit this colored man to talk. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, I was like, take it back a notch. He brings this all up. But to your point, Mark, it doesn't matter because how he convinces him is like you were worried about the commies putting fluoride in our water system. Now, you know, there's, a, there, there's a, a thing going on now that's a lot worse. Americans are being poisoned faster and quicker than you can imagine. Poisoned? The FBI, you know, they always worried about commies getting, getting these deep cover agents and putting them into high positions in American industry. Then they'd acquire a corporation, right? And then they'd establish themselves and they'd work on us. Within. Sounds like one of my radio speeches a year ago last Thanksgiving. You were a deep prophet. A product is being sold now and it's being consumed by tens of millions of people. And it contains a mind-affecting drug in it. Hey, the stuff is like communism. And don't you hate communism? And that's all he had to say. He's like, yeah, fuck communism. And off they go to storm the compound. Yeah, all it really does is just add to the dislike of this colonel, you know? I don't know, did the movie want him to be portrayed in this bizarre, disgusting kind of tone? Because then, like, Garrett, when you're saying the whole chocolate chip Charlie thing, it's like he's being very suspicious of a black man. But then it turns out that his suspicions are correct, which I felt was so strange and such a weird choice. I think that was just a a character thing. I don't think that was meant to be like he was correct. It's really you're right. It's hard to know if we should actually like this guy or not, because he does help out because once Mo convinces him like, hey, you got to help. He's like, well, I own two radio stations. I was like. How the fuck, dude? Like, where did you, what are you doing in your spare time? So he's like, we'll go to the station. We'll go to the, um, we'll go to the factory. We'll get to the bottom of it there. And that's when they devise this plan to kind of pull up with a tanker and be like, oh, we found this. Can we get a reward? And then the, the stuffy, um, uh, employees end up shooting one of the military guys and then they lay waste to him. And then at this point, it's a full blown invasion. And the guy who gets shot, the employee who gets shot is like, bleeding the stuff instead of blood and that's when the 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 general colonel goes up and goes and goes i love the sound of blood but this way i wrote it down he's like um i like the sound of blood but this is disgusting i was like yo you need a psych evaluation and you need to be taken out of command oh yeah like 
this is messed up. And they end up invading this whole compound. And that's when they kind of, that's when Mo and everybody see all the uh, the husks of the employees laying on the ground dead. And that's when Mo kind of let, lets them know like, oh, it's clearly using their bodies as like, you know, vessels. And this is the part where uh, the general goes like, there's never been a war that America's like, you know, failed at or blah, blah, blah. And that's when the little kid Jason goes, what about Vietnam? And he's like, son, that war was lost at home. And I was like, Jesus, that's a <laughs> random ass message. And the kid, the kid is like acting like he's part of the military. He's like, sir, yes, sir. And I'm like, it's a weird choice for Jason to be doing. And then the, the Vietnam line, I was like, okay, 10-year-old kid is not going to know shit or dick all about Vietnam. Well, this was in the... He's not going to know we lost that war at home. This was <laughs> like the early 80s, though. So I'm sure it was much more topical at that time. So maybe he did. Maybe he did actually like know about that. But um, it was just a really weird choice to throw that line in there at that time. And it was like, wow, this is kind of uh, breaking. But... At this point, the stuff decides to... They can't find the stuff, and then they realize that it's in the walls, and it starts chasing uh, Nicole and Jason. They barely escape. Everyone escapes this facility, now realizing that the stuff is a full-on threat, and that's when the... And they actually... Don't they uh, Don't they dynamite the, the stuff lake, right? Don't they blow it up with some sort of explosive? Yeah, Mo plants some C4. Yeah, they set it on fire, they blow it up, and then they're like... All right, let's leave this here and go to Georgia again because they can't get out of that state. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they're going, but yeah, we keep saying Georgia. So they just keep like flying out and flying back into the same state. <laughs> well, I think because the ne- after they destroy the factory, it will destroy is a real loose term for what they do. But after they damage the factory, this is when they go to the radio station because their plan, I guess, is to tell the local Atlanta area about this uh disaster and apparently in the 80s everyone believed everything on the radio this is this is the plan so far well yeah because mo says we can go to one of your radio stations um and then we'll tell them what's going on and he's like don't you get it colonel you were all or general you were always telling these people about this like invasion that was going to come you're right don't you want to be the right people trust you you're a name that people trust and i was like is he like I thought he was like a disgraced general or something like that. And like he keeps talking about how like if you say it, people will believe you. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah, this. Yeah, this... I didn't understand that either. I was like, I would not believe a fucking word. This guy I go eat extra stuff if he told me not to eat stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think that this point of the movie is kind of its weakest part is just it didn't flesh out or give the, the audience enough information about this colonel. I mean, honestly, Watching it in 2020, this guy seems like he'd be the right-wing radical hero. You know, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Yeah, because they get off of um, the planes after they realize they're going to go to the uh, radio station. They get off the planes and there's a line of like yellow cabs waiting for them. And he runs up and the cab driver goes, What is this, World War Three? Just get us to 4th and Main right away. No more of your liberal remarks. I like that. This guy is a psychopath, but they drive to the radio station and that's when one of the ones that he owns. And I don't know why, but I super, super love the part where they all get out of the taxi cabs and the general goes, pay the drivers, issue a 10% tip, get a cash receipt. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. sir. Proceed to the main lobby. We will reassemble. Hey, at least he's a tipper. You know, at least he's not a shithead who stiffed him on the bill. <laughs> I laughed so hard. He asked for a receipt too. He get, get a cash receipt. 
<laughs> yes, I could not like that's that's the thing is lines like that. I was like, this is definitely on purpose. This comedy is not by accident. Yeah, it's definitely well planned. So at this point, they run inside. Um, the generals all like, you know, take these damn stuff commercials off the air. And then they're like preparing the speech. And uh, Nicole is going to write it because she feels like an obligation to kind of fix what she's done and that's when Mo is like hey don't take the blame for this you'll ruin your career and she's like being moral about it she's like no I gotta I gotta take ownership for what I did and that's when out of nowhere at the front door chocolate chip Charlie walks in and there's like a group of like six like military guys with machine guns and he's all like, get out of my way. I'm Chocolate Chip Charlie. Don't you know who I am? And then one of them points a gun at him. He's like, man, my hands are registered lethal weapons. I eat guns for breakfast. And then walks right past the dude. And they just respect this. Like, no one of them like, yeah. gives him any kind of resistance. They're just like, well, that's Chocolate Chip Charlie. Let him through. But then we find out Chocolate Chip Charlie is a stuffy. And I was very sad to see this. I really wanted him to make it to the end. Shyamalan twist. <laughs> Shyamalan twist. Uh, but... On the plus side, we do get an amazing, an amazing practical effect. Probably the best effect in the movie uh, as we watch Chocolate Chips Charlie's head and mouth, I guess, just expand and you see some mad gross like inside of his mouth. It looks like he very much needs some Listerine. Uh, (laughs) It was pretty disgusting, but very enjoyable. Yeah, like the stuff like pours out of him and then like then it leaves a husk of a like a, a flesh husk on the ground, which was like really creepy. And then that um, that stuff starts attacking Jason and Nicole, who are locked in the booth with Charlie. And then that's when they they bust open the the sound booth window. And then was is it Mo that like machine guns a giant cable in half and makes it frayed? Mm-hmm. Yes, they wouldn't they wouldn't let him shoot the stuff. So their plan is to shoot this giant power cable, and yeah, it makes a very clean cut. It's amazing. It's like they shot it with a laser. This is the point of the movie that you really find out that they've just about spent all of their budget. This is some of the worst effects of the movie. Of like uh, Mo is like banging the the butt of the gun against the glass, and it's like you know it's clearly a post glass crack you know done over like a blue screen and, and it, they're, they're playing in front of a blue screen i was like nah, that was very noticeable but you know it didn't it didn't detract too much but it definitely felt like okay we've we're running out of money here let's wrap this up yeah you could tell they didn't have the money to like actually like damage or do anything at the uh, the radio station it was like you can use this location but you can't mess anything up <laughs> do you hear us <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but they get rescued just in the nick of time. And then the colonel goes on and he gives his speech. And what did you guys think of this speech? Like I said, I would have ate more stuff. I would have been like, I don't know what Rush Limbaugh's talking about. Pass the stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird because it was like, it was very much like, if you have it in your house, get rid of it. If you own a factory, burn it. If you have a business. And as like he's saying all this stuff, we're like seeing like people burning the stuff in the streets they're blowing up like um like stuff like restaurants did you guys notice the one that got blown up right next to mcdonald's almost kind of like mcdonald's is like yeah fuck you you can't stop us (laughs) it was in between a mcdonald's and a kfc i was like are they telling us something was it really i didn't notice the kfc yeah yeah it was sandwiched between two two actual it seemed like two actual stores which i want to know how that conversation went uh guys listen we're making a movie it's about some killer yogurt uh we're gonna go ahead and, and just completely demolish a building right next to yours is that cool mcdonald's are you cool with that colonel 
Colonel KFC, are, are we good here? I'm going to blow up a store. Because that was a huge explosion. I don't think they asked. <laughs> yeah. It was the 80s, Mark. There was no rules. They just blew up a random building. They didn't even ask the people who owned that building. They just blew it up and went about their day. <laughs> God, can you imagine the poor customers who just order a quarter pounder, sit down, and kablam! Like, oh my God. <laughs> I think that was... I don't know if that was a real explosion because like that was way too close to the other businesses. But yeah, they, they, they blow up all this stuff and then all said and done and the message is out and you think, cool, now the stuff situation is finally put to an end. But then we cut back to the CEO who was putting out the stuff. He's in his office and you realize there's a senator in there with him and he's like, they're like dealing together because Mo walks in and he's all like, so you guys were in on it together. Looks like the stuff is over. And they're like, you can't stop us as long as there's like air in our lungs, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when Jason walks in with a box of the stuff. And Jason at this point is like a cold-blooded killer. He's like the punisher at this point. (laughs) Well, he made some comment of like, you guys basically killed my parents, so I don't give a fuck. Yeah, and then they make the the CEOs eat the stuff. And they're like, we're not going to eat this. And he's like, cool, we'll just shoot you in the head. And I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. So they make the, the two people eat the stuff, and then they become addicted, and they're just off it, just as bad off as everyone else. But that means the stuff is going to crawl out of them and still exist. Which I don't understand the end goal of this Mo and Jason scene. No, it was very confusing. Also, I do like that they had already had a plan B product, the taste. Yes. There's very little stuff, mostly dairy. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, all right. Well, they were already thinking ahead. Yeah, they were like, if we just lower the quantity of it, like it people will be addicted to it, but they won't like be destroyed by it. I don't know. It's that's business logic for you. Didn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it's all about the profits, right? And if we can get the toxin, a.k.a. the stuff, at a lower percentage, people will still be addicted just enough to keep making us money. And that's the message, right? Consumerism at its worst. Yeah, and then after that scene, we see a bunch of shady dudes on a corner, on a street, and then a truck pulls up, and then they lift up the back of the tarp, and they show that the guys have stuff. So now it's black market product on the street. So... Basically, very clearly a drug allegory that it's now like this like forbidden outlawed like product that people still want. And um, then we cut to credits with the weirdest in theme music ever. It sounded like Superman 2 like music. Yeah, it was an interesting tune. Yeah. But that's it. That's the stuff. That is the stuff. Great movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's very enjoyable. I definitely think this is a must-watch for anybody who likes horror movies, if you like satire, if you like 80s movies. It's got a little bit of everything, right? It's got your invasion of the body snatchers elements. It's got the element of the 80s movies of always like, we don't believe the kid, but the kid knows what's going on, right? And he's always railing against the, the adults who won't listen, you know, a la The Gate or something like that, right? It's got a lot of familiar elements that the viewer is going to recognize, but it has such a fun time with it. And it is, uh, it's pretty smart in its comedy and its messaging. Um, the only, like like we mentioned already, the, the knocks against it are kind of some strange jump cuts to conclusions and things just play out. But overall, highly recommended for me. And some scenes where Garrett Morris clearly forgets his lines and tries to like fix them real quick, which they just kept in the movie, which I thought was great. 
I was like, wow, you guys didn't even do a take two? Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's it on this one. Uh, anything else to add on the stuff, Garrett? No, I think uh, I think we're good. I mean, again, like you said, this is just a classic 80s horror movie. Um, it's not super scary, but it, it has all the, the elements of a, just a fun, good 80s horror film. Um, I highly recommend it. But you know I highly recommend most 80s <laughs> horror movies. So, yeah, it was a good one. Um, I'm excited to see what else from the 80s we get to do. Yeah, we've got some good stuff coming up. Just keep an eye on our social media and on our website, and we'll let you know some other additional stuff coming up that we're going to be doing singly as we kind of adjust to the social distancing here. But as always, please feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us at thegravetalk.com of all our happenings. What did you guys think of this stuff? Is this your favorite Larry Cohen movie? Do you guys have any suggestions of movies you want us to do? Please hit us up. We always like to hear from you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.